0: Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for March sixteenth, two 2014. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jackstein at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon is entitled, First Person Singular and the Theology of Y'all. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. My niece, who almost became Miss America last year, is about as genuine a person as you will ever meet. She is down to earth, fun, funny, It is ironic that she was standing on that stage last January, almost becoming the symbol of our obsession with the unattainably perfect female body and superficial beauty. Of the myriad stereotypes of beauty queens, Ally fits exactly none of them. It might have been her girl-next-door simplicity and her Southern Baptist innocence that cost her that title. I have nothing but accolades for her, but I do need to talk to her about grammar. <laughs> if you're visiting, ask someone else why that's funny. Jeremiah 29 is Allie's favorite verse of scripture. And she had it, along with her slogan, Make a Difference, emblazoned on thousands of those little rubber bracelets that everyone is wearing these days, she sold them for Miss America's fundraiser for the Children's Miracle Network. I know the plans I have for you. This was a central part of the Christian testimony Allie gave a couple hundred times in the past few years. Plans to prosper, you. God has plans to prosper, you. You and you and you and you. Second person singular, you. Now let me say that I really do not have some surreptitious plan to use my vocation as a bully pulpit for proper English grammar. Though I know this is the second time in as many months that some grammatical structure has functioned prominently in one of my sermons. I promise you, I don't just intend to teach you grammar here. But it really is important. It's important. You see, those of us who do not read Hebrew could easily read Jeremiah's message, as I'm afraid my niece does. As an affirmation that God has specific designs to give me just what I pray for. To offer special blessings to me. To bestow health and wealth and prosperity as a divine gift just for me. Because God said, I know the plans I have for you, Russ. Plans for you to prosper, Russ. Second person singular. Only that's not what God says at all. If we could read Hebrew, we would understand that God, if God were from Brooklyn, might have said, I know the plans I have for youth guys. (laughs) If God were my grandmother, she would have concluded plans to prosper Ewans. I don't know where Ewans comes from, but my grandmother said it a lot. If God were from the American South, all of us would understand this text better for what God says is, I know the plans I have for y'all. Plans to prosper y'all, all All of you That's what it says. The pronouns in this text are a second person, you, but they are all plural, y'all. Evangelicalism in America and that Pentecostal penchant for the altar call has done a real number on American Christians. Brother, are you saved? And when you place that revivalism in the context of a burgeoning American dream, you can understand how our theology and our ideology have developed side by side in the first person singular. It's all about me. American exceptionalism is self-centered arrogance. The idea of manifest destiny, theological naivete. American capitalism and our representative democracy and the American promise of individual freedom and individual rights Offers unprecedented power to the human person. It is a beautiful thing when that dream is fulfilled. It is cruel irony when it is not. The only point I'm trying to make here is that a beautiful theology, which Emily just expressed for you, a beautiful theology which calls individuals to responsibility for their own spirituality and a powerful ideology which offers the sky as the limit to productivity and prosperity can be twisted, as I believe it has been, into a secularized American religion that says it's all about me. First person singular. I hate to break it to you this morning. It's not all about you. The salvation of your individual soul, the answer to your personal prayers, the receipt of God's bountiful blessings bestowed specifically on you. God did not help you win the Super Bowl this year. I don't care how much you believe it. God doesn't want to give you a miracle today as opposed to some other poor soul who isn't as righteous and faithful as you or who didn't give as large a contribution to the sorry televangelist who is peddling that snake oil, it's not about you. We need a revival called you all <laughs> If this sounds like bad news to you, that it's not all about you, it's just an indicator of how deeply your religion has been accommodated to American values instead of immersed in Jesus' message. The fact that God cares about all, equally all, does not exclude you, but it does have some pretty disturbing ramifications if we take the biblical witness seriously. No, the touchdown was not from Jesus The reprieve from cancer wasn't just divine intervention with your specific address on it. And all that money you've got saved in your bank account, well, that might not all be yours either. The Bible affirms that all blessings are from God, but the consistent biblical image is that of stewardship. Which means it's not ours to begin with. We are just managing God's world. God's time. God's resources. Which includes our money. And for what purpose have we been blessed according to the Bible? For one and only one purpose So that we might become a blessing to others. God did not choose Abraham or Moses or David alone. God chose the nation of Israel. Salvation, you see, is a corporate concept. God chose a people called Israel. And for what purpose? So that that nation might become a blessing the bearer of God's will to all nations. From start to finish, it's a theology of y'all. We as a nation have not fully reckoned with the incredible power of the gift of freedom. You who are parents know that freedom must be earned. It is a mark of maturity that rights come that with rights come responsibility. You don't just hand the car keys and the credit card to a brash 10-year-old when he childishly declares he's running away from home. But at this point in our national history, they may, this may be exactly how we are treating freedom. Freedom is a gift, but it is not a simple birthright. The incessant whine about individual rights, which masks itself as patriotism, sounds on closer examination. Like the juvenile boast of an angry child, it's mine, and I can do it by myself. The followers of Jesus know it's not just mine, and God knows every one of us needs some help. I don't know anywhere that the issue is more apparent than in the current battle over guns. The pro-gun lobby, and I'm sorry to use that word because it has such political uh, connotations, but I believe it is just that. The lobby wants to make this a simple issue of individual rights. This is America. The Second Amendment says I have the right to bear arms. So my right to arms should be unregulated and unlimited, period. Well, this is America. And the Second Amendment does affirm the right to bear arms. But as the Apostle Paul said to the church in ancient Corinth, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Do not seek your own advantage, but that of others. This is not the United States of the Wild West. And it is not anti-American, nor anti-Second Amendment, nor anti-freedom to say, given the bizarre, shameful, and outrageous violence free Americans are inflicting on each other and themselves... Because of our love affair with the gun and our idolatry of individualism, something needs to change. Everyone in this country has a right to own a gun. Everyone in this country also has a right not to own a gun and to be able to enjoy their liberty as well. Today is Gun Violence Prevention Sunday, and our friends at the Baptist Peace Fellowship are helping us to consider means of curbing the pandemic of gun violence. I hope you will make note of the statistics on the insert in your bulletin. We can do something about the violence within a context of freedom and rights with responsibility. I pray we will. The human spirit thirsts for, thrives in freedom. And the American experiment with a free market and a free political process is unprecedented in human history. And the advance of the human race, which has resulted from that freedom, is unquestioned. But freedom, which is interpreted as radical individualism, is also dangerous. The achievements due to American individualism are heroic. And our murder rate is higher than any other industrialized nation. 4.7 for every 100,000 Americans in 2013. In Japan, it's 0.4. In Europe, 1.2. And our murder rate is at a three-year low. One in three. One in three African Americans in this country and one in four children throughout this entire nation lives under the poverty line. Now, these numbers may be acceptable to proponents of the American ideology because of the great potential which exists and which is manifest in those who do succeed. Leaving this many behind does not represent the values of Jesus. Am I free? Do I have a right? Well, these are not the questions the followers of Jesus ought to be asking. The questions of Jesus are, what am I doing with my freedom? How are my rights benefiting, building up others? Several years ago, I had a rare political conversation with a family member. I say rare and I assume you understand why. It wasn't a fight. It was a good conversation. The topic turned to Social Security, and we wondered together if there would be anything left in that fund when I retire, when my children retire. And I made a casual comment that, you know, maybe people who didn't really need those retirement funds should decline from taking them which would make more of that money available for Americans who do count on that retirement plan to literally sustain them every day. She laughed. Instantly, she belly laughed. And while there's not a mean bone in her body, it was the kind of laugh that instantly embarrassed me. Obviously, I had said something foolish. I didn't think what I was saying. Ridiculous. That was naive. It's their money. They work for it. It's theirs. Well, my comment wasn't a policy recommendation. I know that we could never recommend such a thing. And one visit to Cuba will make you recognize the dehumanizing effects of socialized everything. I am not a communist. But her laugh will stay with me for a long time her laugh, and my embarrassment at trying to participate in the American system which I value so greatly while trying to think bigger than me. Maybe it's not just mine. What I was feeling in that moment was the tension between American values and the values of Jesus. I don't know how that tension ever gets worked out. But I believe it must be the prayer of the American church that Christians at least learn to recognize that there is a tension. Is it really just mine? My friend friend Ken Godwin taught me several years ago the word "communitarian." which refers specifically to a body of work produced over the last 40 years by writers who write to challenge the philosophy of John Rawls. Talk to Ken about that. I'm not sure that I use the word correctly, that what I am espousing is technically communitarianism, but I like the word. And what I mean by using it is that American values at least as they are popularly interpreted, are written in the first person singular. It's about me. And Jesus teaches us what the Bible knows through and through, that if we have any real future, it will only be fostered by a theology of y'all. May it be so. Thanks for listening today. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Grace and peace to you.